Lord, for each of us here tonight, uh, there's been different things going on in our life, different pressures, we're at different places, uh, different joys, different sorrows. And we ask now as we, we reflect on your word, that by your spirit, you would encourage us where we need to be encouraged. You'd show us from your word around this area of giving and generosity and grace, what you want us to do. And you would convict all of us, myself included, Lord, to sit under your word, to hear what you have to say. And walk out of here having heard the true and living God in his graciousness and his love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in 2018, Forbes magazine, that's this year if you're wondering, Forbes magazine released what they call the members of the Three Comma Club. Do you know what that is? Billionaires. That's right. The world's billionaires. And do you know that there are, according to Forbes magazine, um, 2,000... I've lost it. 2,208 billionaires in the world presently. 2,208 billionaires. Wow. If I were to ask you, who was the richest person in the world? What would you say? Let's, let's hear who, who your guesses are. We're not allowed to look it up. No one, stop, stop looking at the phone. Branson, Virgin. Okay, others? Bezos, Amazon, Bill Gates, Microsoft. The owner of Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg. Okay. Any other ideas? Okay, interestingly, who, sorry? Sweet, I'm going to look up that person later and you can tell me who that is. The answer is, I'm going to tell you later. Uh, I want you to hold on to that thought for a while. Um, in, in terms of countries, 585 billionaires in America. What country's next? China. China, indeed, 373 billionaires in that country. There's a lot of people in the world who've got a lot of money, it seems. And as we think through who is rich, what are riches, tonight we're going to see what God's Word has to say about that. Uh, This topic, this section that we're getting to in 2 Corinthians, is all about money. And if you've come along here tonight and and you've just come along to church a few times, there's probably a sense in which you've just gone, oh, because like churches... You kind of the caricature of churches and sometimes the reality is that they're always talking about money. It can seem like when you come to church that the church just wants your money. But it's important for you to know tonight, if you're not a Christian, you need to know this, we don't want your money. Jesus doesn't want your money. He's not going, oh, look, I'm short of a dollar. I really need you to give me something. He's saying, I don't want your money. I want you to recognize that I made you, that I love you. I want you to accept my love for you and that I am the king of the universe. Jesus doesn't want your money. He wants all of you. That's what he's saying. But it's also important for you to know that if you do surrender to the love of Jesus, if you do say, yeah, look, I want to serve you with my life, part of that means a financial commitment to his plans and purposes. It means we're going to serve him with them, not because we're going to pay him off, but because of the great joy it is to serve him and, and what partnering with God financially brings. We're going to see a little bit of that as we move on tonight. The question for us is this. Are you committed to excelling in the grace of giving here at Auckland EV? Are you committed to excelling in the grace of giving? Now, as I bring up this whole topic of money and talking about money, uh, I've got to let you know a confession. I hate it. (laughs) I hate talking about this deeply. Uh, The reality is that as I talk about money, I'm one who benefits from it. Like, you guys pay my wages, right? Uh, As you give to church, that's what frees up my family. And so all of a sudden, this topic about money that the Bible does speak about brings in a whole issue of motive. Why is he saying this stuff? Is he saying this just to get more? What's going on? I I hate it. It's the point at which I feel most judged uh, as a pastor is when I'm talking about money. But there's over 800 verses in the Bible that speak about possessions and giving. 25% of what Jesus talked about had to do with money and giving and materialism. And so it's important for us to know that, that Jesus spoke about money a lot. There's something about money and the way we use it that is a kind of a litmus test on our life in some ways, about who we serve and where our security is found. And so I, as a pastor and as a preacher, need to not censor the the Bible in areas I feel awkward in. We need to preach the passage, as the passage says, to me and to you. I too am a part of this church. I too am a Christian. And I want to use my money the way that God says we ought. So there's one helpful thing for you to understand about the way giving works here at EV. 
If you give more to church, the pastors don't get paid more. It's not like we're saying, give more so we can, like Lachlan said, you know, just drive a better car or have a corporate jet. Now, there are some churches, unfortunately, and this is horrific, but that's actually what they do. They want you to give more because, well, the pastor needs to be blessed. That's just a load of crock. That's what that is. That's not what the Bible is saying at all. Now, as you give more to church, what that enables us to do as a church is to use those funds for the spread of the kingdom, to see more pastors freed up, to see people growing in their love and knowledge of God, to send more missionaries out, to support more missionaries across the globe, to care for different opportunities that come up for Christians and and to love the poor and the marginalized across the world. As you give to church, it doesn't go to more more, um, money to the pastor, it goes to more kingdom ministry in line with what God's word says. So what does God's word say about this idea of Christian giving? Well, we're going to have a look at that because that's exactly what Paul talks about in his letter to the Corinthian church. And what we'll see firstly is that Christian giving is not driven by guilt or by a command, but it's driven because of God's grace. It's point number one, Christian giving is an expression of God's grace. Have a look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God granted to the churches of Macedonia. That's how Paul starts. The grace of God. Now, that word grace, it's kind of a Christian jargon word, right? You hear it on The Simpsons where Ned Flanders says it before meals. Like, it's grace. What is, what is grace? Uh, grace just means gift. Uh, undeserved gift. That, that's what a gift is. You, you realize that? Uh, if it's deserved, it's not a gift. It's, it's, I've worked for it. Uh, so, you know, your boss gives you money for working throughout the week. You don't be like, oh, well, thank you. I, I didn't deserve that. You're like, no, I did do that, but thanks for honoring me for what you said you do. Um, A gift is when you get something you don't deserve. Uh, And here, Paul starts out this section talking about the grace of God granted to the churches of Macedonia. The gift of God granted to the churches in Macedonia. God had given the churches in Macedonia a gift, and Paul wants to highlight these churches. He'd shown them grace. And the gift he'd given them was them recognizing who Jesus was. That Jesus died for them, that he'd risen again. And that they could call God their father. And this grace had a profound effect in the lives of these Macedonian Christians. It overflowed for them that they'd been given so much in Jesus that they wanted to serve the church and churches with all that God had given them. So he says in verse 2, During a severe testing by affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed into the wealth of their generosity. I testify that on their own, according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave. This Macedonian church were phenomenally generous. They are a model of generosity. And the situation that he's talking about here of their generosity was a specific situation. See, a famine had come across uh, Palestine, where where the Jews in Jerusalem were, around AD 51. And we hear about that from a uh, a historian called Tacitus. Now, the Christians in Jerusalem were suffering because there was a famine in the land. They had no food. And Paul had been writing to the other churches that were kind of Gentile, non-Jewish churches, saying, we've got to... We're going to collect up some money to look after these, these particular people at this point in time. Uh, we read about this in Acts 11.27. Write that down. It's on the screen. But Acts 11.27. In those days, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. Then one of them, named Agabus, stood up and predicted by the Spirit that there would be a severe famine throughout the Roman world. This took place during the time of Claudius. So each of the disciples, according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brothers who lived in Judea. They did this, sending it to the elders by means of Barnabas and Saul, who is Paul. There we've got a commentary by Luke of what has gone on in the early church and kind of what's going on in this letter that Paul was writing to the Corinthians, his second letter. There's a need in this Jerusalem church and the Gentile non-Jewish churches that are scattered around are seeing to that need by sending money through their local church, back to, through Barnabas and Saul, the Jerusalem church. Now, Paul had also promised that he would support the widows and orphans in Jerusalem as well when he'd gone to the Jerusalem Council. A Jerusalem Council was where 
Paul went before the other apostles just to check that his gospel was actually the legit gospel. And they were like, this is totally true. The churches that are becoming Christians under the teaching of Paul, they're legit churches. They're trusting in Jesus. And they just said to Paul, keep doing it. But they said, um, make sure you remember the poor in Jerusalem. In other words, make sure you're not so disconnected from the, the, the Jewish Christians that you start up your own kind of separate thing that you're kind of connected with, with us. And so Paul promised, we read about it in Galatians 2.10, check it out later, that he would remember them as he went forward. He's been talking about this in Romans 15 and 1 Corinthians 16. He actually said to the Corinthians earlier that they need to gather together uh, this gift for the Jerusalem churches. Uh, get a collection happening. He'd written in his previous letter about that. But the way that he now, in this second letter to the Corinthians, which is probably the third, remember how it all works, there's one missing, maybe two, the way he encourages them to give is different than the way I think we would think. So how would you encourage a church to give? One way is to say, you've got to give, kind of get the whip, like the kind of slave, they did the slaves in, in Exodus. But Paul doesn't do that at all. Paul rolls out Exhibit A, Macedonian church. Now, is anyone here from Macedonia? Any Macedonian kind of backgrounds? Not so the occasional head scratch, but it wasn't a hand. So, so I've only known one Macedonian in my life. Uh, his name was Vassal Pandos. He's just a, this lovely, warm kind of fruit shop guy. If you kind of think what a fruit shop guy is, I don't know. He's, he, he was this lovely guy in my home church that, that kind of was like a, a, a fruit farmer and had this big old Ford truck, like maybe from the 40s or 50s, this massive red truck, and he would park it at church every week. He was one of the most generous people you could come across. So every time I read this passage, I think of the Macedonians, I think of Vassal Pandos, because the Macedonians are the most generous people that we come across in the Bible, except for one. And that's what Paul does. He rolls out this Macedonian church. Now, the Macedonians had their difficulties. They weren't rolling in money at all. In fact, he tells us they were poor. And they didn't give out of huge kind of stockpiles of money, but they gave out of their poverty. Poverty. They were in real poverty, but there's something about this church that made them want to give. What is that? Paul uses them as an example because this church has been captivated by the grace of Jesus. They didn't only give out of their poverty, but he tells us that they gave beyond their ability or beyond what anyone else would, ex- would expect. They saw a problem with these churches in Jerusalem and they're like, we want to give, we, we, we want in. And so not only did they give and want to give, but look at verse 4. <laughs> Paul says, they begged us insistently for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints. You can imagine the conversation. The Macedonian church is there and like, Paul, we've heard about these, these, these Christians in Jerusalem. We want to send them money so that they're not in, in poverty right now. Here, take some money. And Paul's like, but hang on, guys, you're pretty poor and you're giving kind of more than you actually got. And they're like, no, 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 we really want to give. Please, please let us give more. And they're like trying to give more money. And Paul's going, oh, maybe. He's like, let us give. We, we, want, to be, we want to give. <laughs> they're begging to give. Now, something I've noticed about our culture is when we think about people begging, we normally think about people begging for money themselves. Uh, please, please, can you give me something? This church is saying, please, please, let me give. Let me give away what we have. Let me support these brothers and sisters. It's so countercultural, isn't it? So different from the way I'm naturally wired, begging to give. Give me an opportunity. When was the last time someone came up to you and went, look, I'm really looking for an opportunity to give away my money. Do you know any? Have you ever had that happen? Interesting. But they didn't just give beyond their ability. Look at verse 5. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. They were godly about it. They weren't people that are just getting off on some trip about being generous. You know how sometimes you get these um, philanthropists, such a hard word to say, uh, people who give away lots of money, so I mean, <laughs> you, and they're like, yeah, they kind of get a high on giving away money. It wasn't just they were giving it away for giving it away's sake. It's that they were giving themselves first to the Lord. They'd captured something of what Jesus had done and his priorities and God's priorities in giving. And so they were giving themselves first to him and therefore to the kingdom in keeping with God's will. One of the things about this church that they model well are their priorities in giving. They kept their allegiances to God. And as you look through the Bible in a broader sense, rather than just this specific sense Paul was writing to here, we see kind of three general areas that Christians are called to give to. 
three general areas, and they're probably worth writing down. Uh, number one, Christians are to give to the work of the Lord. You see it all through the Old Testament, uh, that uh, God freed up the Levites who were to serve God's people and look after their discipleship and, and spiritual growth and call people back to the Word and act as um, the people who were helping God's people to be in right relationship with God. They were freed up. Well, they didn't have any inheritance, but the, Israel gave to the Levites so they might do that. And you see that pattern continue over into the, the New Testament, uh, where you get Paul saying uh, in 1 Timothy 5, 17, it's not on the screen, but write it down and check it out later, that the elders of the church, the overseers, the leaders are worthy of double honor. Now, that does not mean double pay, P.S. It means the honor of leading and being freed to do that. That's the double honor. The honor of leading people and serving them and being freed up or paid to do that. Um, he, he then goes on to quote Jesus, who in Luke ten seven, write it down later, Luke ten seven says the worker deserves his wages. He's talking there about the person who is freed up to do the work of the Lord or people within the local church. There's a priority to, to free up those that, we are, uh, that are serving us in the local church. I need to be freeing up others that are serving us in the local church too, as part of our local church. Um, so those who are looking after the life of the church, doing the, the work of the Lord, they are the people that we are give to. Secondly, you see the Old Testament and New Testament talking about our responsibility to give to Christians who are poor, Christians who are in need. And there does seem to be a priority that we want to love those in the household of God first because we're family. And family always loves and cares for family. You know, if someone in your family is in need, you, you care for them. And so there's this kind of um, encouragement and that happens in the Old Testament and the New to look after one another who are in the family of God. And then the third area you see in the Old Testament and New is to care for the foreigner amongst, amongst the people. And so the Jews were to look out for the foreigner who was living amongst them and care for them in that way, whether they were widows or whether they were poor who were amongst them. And in the New Testament, we're called by the story of the Good Samaritan to look after those who are different from us when we come across them, to love your neighbor. And so you see those three categories, the work of the Lord, Christians who are poor, and the foreigner amongst them. You see that kind of carried across. There's a really helpful book, which I'm going to quote from in a second. Um, actually, I'll put it on the screen now. It's by a guy called um, Graham Benyon. I always forget his last name. Uh, you can order it at our bookstore. We don't have it here. But really, really helpful. Short book. I think short books are great. Um, helps you to kind of think through giving. But I want to read out this quote to you to see, um, rather than hearing it from me, hearing it from someone else, uh, the priority of giving to the local church and why that's a, a key priority for us. He says this in summary, in practice, we should expect our giving to begin with our local church. That will usually involve the support of those who work for the church, care of those in the church and mission work elsewhere. We may well stop at that because in giving to our local church, we will hopefully be giving to a variety of different needs as the church uses that money wisely. That's exactly why we have what we call our exec. Our exec are helping us to steward the funds that God's given us as a church. I don't know if you know this, 10% of whatever is given to Auckland AV goes outside of us as a church. We use it as what's called a mission giving fund. We put that aside and give to not us. That might be to seeing new churches planted. Uh, We're about to introduce two new missionary families that we want to support to go out uh, across the world um, and and share the news of the gospel that have kind of got Kiwi roots from New Zealand. Uh, and, And then we also think through supporting different other issues where there are needs, like we've sent Bibles to Syria, where there were great needs there. We've, we've encouraged church and to kind of partner with Tear Fund and, and look after the, the, the Tear sponsor children, particularly in Sri Lanka. So as a church, there's 50 sponsor children that we have uh, across different people and the church supporting them. We as a church want to keep thinking through how we do this and respond to the needs uh, that are there. Now, one thing to note is their society was a little bit different than ours, when we think about the needs in the world around us, um, our world has become more and more Christian. I don't know if you know that. Not necessarily Christian in the true sense, but just Christian morals. So there was a time when looking after the widows and looking after the poor was not a cool thing to do culturally. It was not even a good thing to do. It was serve yourself. And where we're at in history at the moment, uh, the secular world around us sees the importance of humanitarian care. Let me tell you, that won't always be the case. It won't always, it hasn't always been the case, and it won't continue to be the case. But at this time, there is a good amount of care in, in some of the systems around us. Now, there are countries where that is not the case. We need to think through how we support the Christians that are there. But we live in this stage in a different point. 
Well, I want to summarize what, um, what this guy says on the next slide. He says, many people can and will give elsewhere as well, outside of the local church. That might be to a missionary they know from a previous church or to aid a project they've got contact with. The danger, and he says danger, the danger of these extras is that our giving could go primarily to them and not to our local church. There is a clear principle of giving to the church and the church then deciding how that money is spent. Well, we can't give figures. I think we can say that it's where the majority of our giving should go. One of the things that I, as I reflect on us as a church, I think I see lots of generosity amongst us. Um, but as you look at our stats as a church, our stats are that 50% of us are giving and 50% of us aren't at all. Now, as I know you and care, I know there's generosity amongst us. And I think one of the things that could be an issue is that we are giving to those outside of the church first. It might be a priority to rethink through. Now, I feel so awkward saying that because I know I benefit. But again, I don't get more. <laughs> and sure, this guy's a pastor. But have a look at his, his kind of argument and think through, is this what the Bible's saying? As we think through the priorities and give ourselves to the Lord and his work along with his priorities like the Macedonian church did. So the Macedonian church, they gave themselves generously with God's priorities. And as you hear what they're, done, what they're, what they're like, you kind of get this picture of them. that They're just dripping with generosity. Dripping with freedom. I'm not under any obligation to give. I just want to give. I want to give it away. I want to see people come to know Christ. I want to see these people in uh, Jerusalem looked after. They're my brothers and sisters. I care for them. They're desiring to have this privilege of sharing. And you see in that a great model of giving. How great it would be to be like that. And what that helps us realize is this. Generosity has nothing to do with the amount you give. Generosity has nothing to do with the amount you give. But it's the attitude. Giving is a matter of the heart. It's about us wanting and desiring to give from what we have. Many people think, look, if I win the lotto, I get a better paying job, or when I graduate and then I've got this awesome job and you know, I've paid off my house, then I'll give. I'll set up an institution to be generous. I'll kind of take on all the, all the billionaires of the world and that's what I'll do. But at the moment, I just need to save. The reality is, if you're not generous now, you're not going to be generous then. Be generous with what God has given you because it's not the amount that matters, but the attitude. We can be poor and still be greedy, just like we can be rich and still be generous. Paul then shows the freedom that the Corinthians have in this, in verse 8. I'm not saying this as a command. Rather, by means of the diligence of others, I am testing your genuineness of your love. Money is not the issue. That's why Paul rolls out the Macedonians. The issue is the heart. He doesn't want to order the Corinthians to give. He doesn't set up, you must give 10%. Um, there's no tithing in the New Testament. Tithing was an Old Testament idea that was kind of like a tax put on Israel because they were looking after the state system as well. And in fact, tithing wasn't 10%. If you added up all the offerings, it was around 23%. Uh, so if people want to tithe, 20, 23% is where you need to start because uh, that's what it was. Just letting you know that. But here... Paul doesn't give any commands except to be generous. No legalism here. No, this is what you've got to give. No, no oppression. Uh, be generous. And so we need to be thinking here about being generous in the way that we live. And Paul uses the Macedonians in, in an odd way. He uses them to say, I want to test the genuineness of your love, Corinthian church. I want to see if you actually are generous. So he says in verse 7, Now as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and all diligence, and in your love for us, also excel in this grace. In other words, he's saying to them, Okay, you're all about gifts, Corinthian church. Remember that from 1 Corinthians? They're the gifted church. They had every spiritual blessing. And they were then wanting to um, use those gifts. So like, I've got tongues. And someone else is like, I've got prophecy. And someone else is like, I've got gifts of administration. No, it didn't really happen, but... Uh, I don't know why. So they're always kind of bragging about their gifts. And Paul says, you actually need to excel in this area in your generosity in giving. And so what he's doing is helping them think through, uh, are you actually loving? Are you genuine? Are you a genuine Christian? Because you're actually giving. So to the gifted church, Paul says, 
are you giving? Now, let me ask you, church, as you pray for different gifts and different abilities and different kind of blessings from God, do you pray for generosity? Do you ask God to give you the gift of generosity, the gift of giving? That'd be a great thing for us to pray for, isn't it? That we might be generous like the Macedonian church, so we might capture what they captured. This picture, sorry, you can't see Vasla. Wish, uh, uh, yeah, I think he's gone to be with the Lord now, but he's just this kind of generous, warm-hearted, fruit-growing, awesome guy who loved people and was just gave from... This, this is the, the Macedonian church. Do you want to be like that? Are your prayers filled with requests for God to grow you in generosity? Well, Paul doesn't only want them to grow in generosity. He wants them to actually be generous. And that's where we see... Um, Point number two, the second principle. The second principle is that we need to follow through on what we've promised. Follow through on what we've promised. Look at verse 11 and then verse yeah, 6 and 11. So we urge Titus that just as he had begun, so he should also complete this grace to you. But now, finish the task as well, that just as there was eagerness to desire it, so there may also be a completion from what you have. Now, Remember, the Corinthian church had said, yeah, yeah, we're going to give. Paul had written the letter in 1 Corinthians. He'd been amongst them. They're like, yeah, we're going to give to this church. The problem is, hadn't really shown that yet. Hadn't kind of seen it. They'd said, we want to give. We'd like to give. Paul's saying, follow up. Put your money where your mouth is, literally. We actually need to not only say, oh, look, I'm, I'm keen to be generous. I want to be generous. I'm planning to be generous. Paul's saying, as, as Christians who've gotten the gospel, we need to be generous by actually giving. I once had a boss whose um, love language was gifts. I don't know if you've, you've heard about the five love languages. Helpful for marriage, you know, the different ways we like to be loved. There's um, acts of service, and we've got to actually do things to love people. Sarah's that. It's hard. Um, so you've got to do it, right? There's, there's words of affirmation, which is me. you just kind of got to say, oh, good work, Rowan. I'm like, oh, thanks, like a Labrador. Like, oh, this is great. Um, there's physical, there's physical touch, um, there's quality time, and there's gifts. And I had a boss who was gifts, and you had to give him the right sort of gifts. If you didn't give him a gift that he really liked, he'd be like, real down. I'd be like, oh, I, I, should, I just don't like this. And you're like, whoa. And it was kind of hard. And it was the type of guy that you couldn't really say to him, look, well, you know, it's the thought that counts. Because he'd be like, nope, I don't like that. <laughs> it's not the thought that counts. When it comes to giving, it's not the thought that counts. You can't say, oh, look, I was keen to free you up as a missionary. I promised I'd free you up as a missionary. And as you went out to kind of wherever you went as a missionary, I was like, great, I'll support you. And then you go, oh, yeah, look, well, it's the thought that counts. Never actually got to give. But, you know, I thought some food onto your plate so you could preach the gospel. And, but, you know, you actually got to give. And so as we think about being generous, we need to make sure our, our walk matches our talk, that we follow through on what, We've promised. The third principle is that Christian giving should be proportionate giving. Christian giving should be proportionate giving. Look at verse 12. For if the eagerness is there, it is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. If the eagerness is there, if you are eager to give, it's acceptable according to what one has, in other words, what you've got, not what you don't have. In other words, we should not go into debt in order to give to the local church. We should not go, on, oh, sweet, I want to give to my church and be generous. I'm going to sign up for the biggest gem finance card I can find and then just go give it all to church. And we're like, sweet, I can't pay it back, but, you know, I gave. Like, no, you're not able to give. You don't actually have that money. I don't know if you know that, but a credit card, you don't have that money. You're borrowing it from the bank and they're going to come and ask for it back. And if you don't give it back within their terms, they're going to charge you a lot. And then you're going to be stuck. So don't, don't give via debt using money you don't have. Paul is saying we actually need to give according to what we have. Everything we have is a gift from God. I don't know if you realize that. All the gifts you have, all the abilities, the talents, the skills, the intellect, the time, the resources, they're all gifts. If you have money, that might be because you know, your family grew up in a certain area or there was money in the family or God has just organized things for it to work that way. That's not because of you or me. <laughs> it's not like God went, oh, that one there, he should definitely, that, they should have more because they've loved me more. And it's got nothing to do with us. God has chosen who he'll give to and what he'll give to and everything we have is a gift from God. And God's not calling us to give more than he's given us. Hear that. 
He's not calling us to give more than he has given us, just to be generous with what he has given us. And so Christian giving should be proportionate giving in order to, uh, in line with how much we actually have. Now, I think sometimes Christians go to give, but we go, look, I've just got no money. I've got no money left. But I see them eating and kind of, you know, getting McDonald's occasionally. And that's cool, great. If you love your McDonald's or other poison, that's fine. But the reality is we do have things that God has given us. Uh, we also, if we don't have money, we've often got time or we've got intellect that we can use for the gospel. But most people have some money. I've not met many people that have literally nothing. The problem for us more often is that we've got different priorities in where we spend our money. We, we sometimes overextend. I don't know how many of you will own a house at the moment, but let me explain. Don't go and get yourself in a mortgage that is kind of more than you can afford and kind of overreach and be like then stuck in this kind of slavery to pay off the bank so they're happy. Uh, actually think through, well, is this a wise place? I'm not saying there's anything wrong with buying a house. I'm saying that sometimes our priorities push us to the point where we have nothing more to give than what God's given us. We've used all God's given us for us. We need to think through our priorities. And that means we actually need to budget. Uh, Budgeting is really helpful. Budgeting, for those playing at home, is when you work out where you're going to plan to spend your money. Okay? I don't know. How how many people here have a budget? Real real life confession. Okay. All right. Leave your hand up on a a second question. If you have a budget, nice and strong. How many people track all their spending against their budget? Leave your hand up. Okay, everyone else, go and talk to these people and ask them how to do that, okay? Because the key to budgeting is actually working out whether we, we match up with what we plan to do. It's all very well to say, I plan to give or I plan to save in these areas, but did you actually do it? The key to budgeting is in tracking where you spend stuff. And if you want some help in that, there's some stuff on our website. It's a, on the address orkonev.co.nz forward slash give. You can have a look at that. You can see where you, um, you can pledge to give to church. But there's also on the, on the right-hand side a little button that says, oh, I'd like to find out more about a budgeting course. We have a budgeting course that we as a church pay for, for you, for free. We, don't pay, we pay for it. You can use it for free. And it helps you to think through, how do I budget as a Christian? It's got a guy who's a financial planner taking you through little video sessions. Um, sign up. They kind of come. They'll nag you when you haven't looked at it for a while. But really helpful to think about how you use your money in a biblical way. Um, on that site, there's a place where you can pledge your giving. We find pledging is a really helpful tool to go, yeah, I'm going to think through my budget for the year. I'm going to actually say to someone, church, this is how much I'm going to give. Now, I know you, you may not know how much you're going to get in the next year. Well, go on the low end and think, oh, here's what I think is about right. The tool's not for us to kind of come and be like, oh, exactly how much? And then we walk around like police, like the exec come around and be like, have you given that much? You know, where are you? Not at all. It's there as a tool to be able to help you to go, yeah, I actually want to have some accountability to this. I want to, I want to stick to it. And so um, I'm going to just say it publicly and think through that each year. It's a great way to be able to do that. But the principle that the Macedonians have and that Paul talks through is to give in proportion with what God has given you. Uh, being sacrificial means that we'll feel it. Being generous means we'll feel it. It's one of the principles Sarah and I have. Uh, we don't think we're being generous if we can do everything we would always want to do um, and, and we're still giving. And this to be the point where actually, oh, there are some things we can't do. And I don't mean like, oh, you know, uh, we can't buy that Lamborghini. Oh, well. <laughs> Fourth principle. Christian giving contributes to equality. Christian giving contributes to equality. Look at verse 13. Paul says, it's not that there may be relief for others and hardship for you, but it's a question of equality. At the present time, your surplus is available for their need, so their abundance may also become available for our need, so there may be equality. What Paul's saying here is, don't, he's not trying to say just, just give so much so that you end up on the street yourself. The idea is that the, the Gentile Christians are okay at the moment, they've got some funds. And the Jewish Christians are in poverty because there's a famine. And so they're saying, well, your Christian brothers and sisters, your family, actually think through supplying them in their time of need. And then as you come to times of need, other Christians can help look after you. It's one of the joys of being part of Christian family, of being seated in the heavenly realms around God on the throne. And Paul illustrates that principle by quoting Exodus 16. That's the next quote that comes after it, where the Israelites were in the desert and God said, I'll provide bread from heaven. And this kind of bread fell down and they went, well, what is it? And God said, mana, which means, what is it? 
<laughs> no one really knew. But the whole principle was that they, God would provide it, they would collect it, but they only need to collect enough for the next day. They had to trust that God would provide. And so they were to use what they needed, and, and no more and no less. And so here, the same principle is applied to the way we think about the gospel needs in the world, about the needs of others uh, around us, the needs of our local church. God's given you what you've got so that you might be able to see those gospel means go forward, whether that means the work of a local church, whether that means relieving poverty amongst Christians, whether that means relieving um, poverty amongst those that aren't Christians. We need to think through how we should do that. But we should also not push this concept too far. Paul is not arguing for a socialist society where we all just share all of our funds and what's mine is yours. So you, you can't go up to someone in church and just go, oh, that car that God gave you? Yeah, I'm going to use it today. Just jump in, take the keys, take off with it. I mean, you as the person who owns the car might be like, oh, I want to share that. You just, just can't go, oh, that, that's God's, so it's mine. You know, come, someone can't come after the service and go, oh, you know that TV that you got down the front that you use for church? Yeah, I'm just going to take it home this week because it's God's and we're all just sharing. And, uh, no, 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 there are different purposes at different times that we have them here. And what you see throughout the scriptures is that there are people with different amounts of money. And so you see that Priscilla and Aquila open their home in Rome for the church to meet there. Obviously, they had a home and they opened it. They were generous with it. Not everyone had that, but they they had a home. And so people met in their house. Uh, You've got Lydia, who was a a purple cloth merchant. Let me try to think of what purple cloth equivalent is today. I don't know, Converse shoes? I don't know, what, what's, what's kind of fancy, you know, maybe, maybe it's kind of um, Louis Vuitton or something like that. You know, the purple was the expensive stuff and Lydia was the dealer in it. So she was rolling in it, but she was also a godly Christian woman who was sold out for the gospel and using all of her gospel funds and, and eagerness to see people come to know Jesus. There are people who had lots and there are people who had little, like Paul, had to, had to make tents and mend tents. So there's differences in the way that people have money We are just to think through how we might use the funds God has stewarded us in line with God's purposes. This has played out in us as a church in a number of ways. Uh, A number of years ago, about three years into Auckland EV, we had a point where um, our internal giving wasn't quite enough yet to cover all of our expenses, but the people that had pledged from outside of church to give for three years were about to stop because it was like three years in, they pledged for three years. And so we had a gap of about $20,000 we needed to raise. And so I sent a prayer letter out to people just saying, I'd love for you to pray that as we think through where we're at as a church, we can make up this $20,000 gap. I got an email back pretty much the next day, and it came from someone who'd been praying for us and partnering from us with a church, and it said this, um, Jesus always wins, uh, the gospel needs to be um, spoken, um, $20,000 in June, and then his name. That's it. <laughs> I'm like, what? And then in June, check, $20,000, just done. Why? Because he was convinced that the gospel needed to go out, that we needed to keep running. And so he's like, look, in June, I'll have an extra 20 grand. And it's yours. You can have it. We are beneficiaries of this whole thinking in that way. Uh, There's another example of that that I saw this week. Uh, Someone in our church uh, who's been involved in serving in church, uh, their car died. Had a problem, just, just didn't work. Um, they've been thinking about taking a loan to get a cheap car, not, not because of you know, money mismanagement, but because they've just been generous in other areas. They didn't have the funds to replace it. Um, and so they've been trying to think through what do they do at this point when another one of us in our church came along and said, you can have my car until you've got a replacement and just lend it to them. Like that, this principle played out. That, isn't that exciting to see that happening? And that should keep happening within our connect groups, within our church, uh, where we're looking after one another and caring for one another when we see the needs. Because what we've been given is not just ours, but God has given it to us for loving and caring for those around us for his purposes. The fifth principle that I want to talk to is that Christian giving is for our good. I don't know if you've recognized this, but Christian giving is actually good for you. Look at verse 10. Now, I'm giving an option to do this because it is profitable for you, who a year ago began not only to do something, but also to desire it. Paul is saying to the Corinthian church, there's this option for you to give here, and I'm, I'm encouraging you to do this because it's profitable for you. It's good for you. Paul says one of the reasons we give is because it's good for us to give. It's good to generously give our money away. Now, let me say the opposite. It is not good for us to hold on to our money, to hoard it and keep it. That, that's not good. To be like that is to be spiritually sick. 
In fact, it's to be ruled by greed. We need to understand that holding on to our money is a spiritual problem. We trust our money more than our God for our security. Jesus talks about greed as one of the evils in the same sentence as he talks about sexual immorality. Now, across our churches, uh, in our one-to-ones, in our small groups, as far as I'm aware, we often talk about sexual immorality. We talk about having accountability for purity and lust and sharing about how we're going in those ways. I'm pretty sure someone would have asked you, how are you going in purity? How are you going not looking at porn? If they haven't, we'll ask them and maybe they'll ask you back. We should be doing that. But generally as a church, that's something that we, you hear about often and there's software set up to, to kind of look at accountability so that we don't look at stuff. When have you ever gone up to someone or had someone come up to you and go, oh, hey, how are you going with your greed? I've not heard of that. Why don't we have accountability groups for greed? Why don't we have software that helps us to kind of monitor? You can install this and it'll report to you how much you're actually giving away and how much you're keeping for yourself. Like, it's just a big an issue. But we kind of move it to the side because we take Jesus' words that we shouldn't let the left hand know what the right hand's doing with money and we apply it to say, oh, I'm not going to talk about it to anyone. And we kind of fence off this area where Satan's like, ha ha, I've won. They're not talking about it. They're not talking about how they w- w- greed and materialism and the effect that it's having. Friends, I need you to ask me how am I going with my greed. I need, to, I need you to ask me what things are drawing me away from my attention of Jesus. And you need one another to be asking that question too. That's so important. See, the only kind of antidote to greed, the only way to stop greed in and of itself and say, no, I don't want this anymore, is actually generosity. It's to give it away. If if you're really serious about going, look, I've got a problem with greed, I just don't know what to do with it. The answer is plain and simple. Just give it away. No more problem. I'm going to worry about what I'm going to do with my money anymore. That's good. I don't don't care whether you give it to church. Uh, I want you to give it to Christian ministry somewhere in the the, the extent of the gospel going out, but just doesn't need to be here. Just give it away. Godliness is what matters. And the antidote to greed is generosity. Christians give because it's good for you. To trust in God, to depend on Him. A healthy Christian is a generous Christian. One who's consistently looking for gospel opportunities to support and give and partner with in the spread of the kingdom and the love of His people. Now the last principle in Christian giving I want to talk through tonight is number six. Christian giving, this is my favorite, is motivated by the news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christian giving is motivated by the gospel. Look at verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Christian giving is motivated by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus was the one who spoke and creation came into being. The earth is literally his. He owns the universe. He created the universe. Everything that's in existence happened, came into being through him, by him, and for him. There is no one in that sense who is richer than Jesus. Uh, You think of the splendor of heaven, the splendor of creation, the stars in the sky, the intricacies of of humans and and the way we work. And he's in control of it all. It's all his. It's his bling. He's like, I own all the gold in the world. You guys are just moving around different places, (laughs) but it's all mine. (laughs) Think of. What's happening in heaven right now? The ongoing praise of the angels. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, who is, who is to come. Think about that picture in Revelation 4 and 5 as as the the slain lamb enters into the throne room of God and all the creatures, the elders, all bow down and and praise him. You are worthy, our Lord and God. They say that the, 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 the lamb who has been slain for us is worthy of our praise. Jesus was so rich. The whole world was his, it was all his, and he gave it up for you and me. He became poor, he took on human flesh. The creator stepped into his creation and allowed his creation to nail him to a cross. He took their whipping, their flogging, their their, their beatings. More than that, he, he took the penalty for our sin. It was on him, God's anger and wrath for everything that we had done wrong. He took willingly on himself when he could have just said in one second, that's enough, end, and everyone just died. And he could have stepped down off that cross at any moment. He could have called on his father, and his father could have brought down 12,000 legion of angels. But he became poor for you and for me. But you see the reason he did it? So that we might become rich. 
Now, let me be very clear. He's not saying that I did that so that you might have more money in your bank account. That's not what it means to be rich. He's saying that you might be called children of God. That you might be calling the Father your Father. You might be calling me your brother. That you will spend an eternity with me. That you will inherit what is mine. That you will be heirs. Friends, if you trust in Jesus, then you have riches that money can't buy. You have riches beyond anything else. You, get, you, you are called a child of God. You will live forever. We've been shown incredible generosity. And what a joy it is that God has done this for us. He has made us rich. Every spiritual blessing in Christ, if you trust in Jesus. Friends, because of Jesus, I am richer than the richest person in the world. In fact, I am the richest person in the world. And so are you, if you trust in Jesus. Who is on that rich list? What's the answer to that question? It's Christians. For we will inherit the universe. Jeff Bezos, who's first on Forbes list, whatever, he's just moving some stuff around on like a buy and sell shop. He's basically like a corner store operator. No offense to corner store operators. But we're talking about the God of the universe who's including us in his family. This is not just some rich-ass family. This is the family that owns the universe and will inherit the earth. And if you trust in Jesus, you are part of that family. You know God. Your sins are forgiven. Your future is for eternity. I think one of the problems with us when we think through generosity is that we think we're poor. We think we don't have anything. We think we haven't been shown incredible riches, but we have at the cross. So I'm going to do something with us all. It's incredibly countercultural. Should not do this at all, but we're going to do it tonight because we need to let God's word shape our culture, not culture shape God's word. I want you to say these words out loud to one another if you trust in Jesus. You ready? I am rich. Off you go. I am rich. Right? You feel a bit awkward, right? Like, oh, who would say that? But I want you to say it again because I want us to recognize that if you trust in Jesus, you are rich. Ready? One, two, three. I am rich. Don't let Satan make you think you are poor. Don't let him fix your eyes on the things of this world and think that that's where we find our riches and our identity. Recognize what we've been given at the cross and let that inspire you to whatever you have. Be generous with it. To see the gospel go out, to see Christians cared for, to see the lost come to know him and cared for as well. Friends, we are the richest people group in the world. That's what Paul says, Christians. And I want to push us a little more than just saying we're rich. I want to say that if we aren't giving to kingdom causes right now, I think we're sinning. Actually, I want to go stronger. We are sinning. If right now you are someone who is a Christian and has been shown incredible grace at the cross... uh, and you aren't giving, you aren't um, sharing the funds that God has given you, whether that be time or energy, resources, if you aren't giving, then you don't get the gospel. You don't get what God has done. You're hoarding it for yourself and not sharing that. And that's a sin. That's rejecting our God and the way he has given himself for us. Now, I know there's plenty of students here that we don't have much. It's not about how much we give. It's about giving and actually going. Like, start with a dollar. If you, really, if you really have, but as I look at the world around us, as I look at us as a church, we, we mostly have stuff. We can be generous. So think through what generosity means and, and start doing that. Start giving. The stats for us as a church, as I said earlier, are that 50% of you, 50% of our church, are giving monthly. I don't know, I don't know what amounts or anything like that, but the stats that exact say are 50% of our church is giving, which is exciting. I was actually chatting to a friend recently who's involved in church ministry. He's like, that's crazy. All the churches I've heard of are like around the 20% mark. Right? So there's a sense in which I want to say, well done, EV. Well done, church, for the way that you've been partnering in your generosity and your giving uh, to the local church and how we're seeing the gospel go out and people cared for. But for the other half of us, you're missing out. <laughs> you're missing out on this incredible joy that the Macedonians were begging for opportunities. Let us get more that is good for us, that helps us to live out the gospel. 
So I want to say to those of you who aren't giving, don't miss out on this great opportunity. Don't be spiritually unhealthy. Make some plans. Go away tonight and think, look, what can I give? Can I just start somewhere? And then grow to be more and more generous. Look for a personal best. Next month, I want to give a bit more than I did last month. I've got a PB this month. Woo! This is great. Think through that. Ask one another, how are you going in generosity? What's, What's holding you back? Friends, let's be a church that together is so captivated by what Jesus has done. So captivated by the reality that we are rich because of the gospel, that that overflows into generosity so that more and more people can come to know Jesus, that we can care for and love and support one another. Let's continually fix our eyes on Jesus and pray for and make steps toward the joy of generosity. Let me pray. Father God, as we reflect tonight on the generosity you've shown in Jesus, we are so thankful. We're so thankful that you've made yourself known to us. We're so thankful for the opportunity to call us, to call you our dad, to call Jesus our brother, to stand alongside brothers and sisters we'll be spending an eternity with. Lord, we confess that so often we turn to other things for our security rather than the true and living God. We ask you to help us to flee from greed and to see the goodness of stewarding the resources you've given to us for your kingdom. Help us to be a church that's a generous church. Help us to continue in generosity and find real joy in that. Lord, we long for Jesus' name to be held high. We long for many, many people to come to know you and trust you. So we ask that you'd help us to continue to be generous with your money, with your resources you've given us, with the energy that we have so that Jesus might be praised and more people standing firm in him until the end and spending an eternity with you. Father, captivate us with the joy of knowing Jesus and send us out with the joy of generosity. Pray this in your son's name. Amen.